Hello, and welcome to the DMN one-on-one podcast. Today, we have a special edition podcast all about politics, sponsored by Fluent. Fluent is the only advertising technology company in the country that has been polling the American public about the election on a weekly basis. Check out the latest results at fluentpoliticalpulse.com. And now, the podcast. This is Kim Davis. Hi, welcome to another one-on-one podcast. And today I have with me Phil Ross, who's Principal Social Media Analyst at Social Bakers. Welcome, Phil. Thank you, Kim. And one thing we're going to be doing today, apart from talking about Social Bakers uh, business and their product offering, is to talk about what's on everyone's mind, and will be for the next few days, if not thereafter, and that's the presidential election. Because you've been looking at social media analytics around the election, correct? Yes, sir. Um, We've been investigating for the past six months uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump's uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Very good. We're going to take a deep dive into that, but just to set the scene, I did a little bit of research, and as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, Social Bakers came out of Prague, Czechoslovakia in 2008, and you offer social media analytics, measurement, management, optimization to over 100 of the Fortune Global 500, and the last figure I saw was was you're looking at 8 million million social profiles. That may have increased. Uh, I'm sure it has. We tag uh, thousands of new pages every day. Uh, We acquire hundreds of thousands of pieces of new content in our database every day, so I'm certain it has. Okay. So what, in a nutshell, is is your general offering to brands? Um, So we help brands uh, measure, manage, and optimize their social media performance, uh, whether that means they use our our product to just create a baseline of performance for themselves and for their immediate competition to see how they perform in a competitive context on social media, uh, whether that means they want to uh, integrate metrics into their publishing platform and learn how they perform while they publish, uh, whether that means they want to optimize their performance uh, for more established, mature social media presences um, and get more efficient spend, we can help them do that. Okay, and let's jump into the, the fun stuff then. Sure. Uh, Facebook, first of all, I know you've been looking at the uh, the campaign's <laughs> Facebook activity, and interestingly, at uh, users' reactions to their to the Facebook posts, mm-hmm. um, whether they like them, whether they're getting angry with them. Um, give a little bit of background on what you've been finding. Sure. Um, so we've found um, a lot of. Just calling up some data here, everyone. We have a screen in front of us. <laughs> My apologies. That's okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, most of Trump's pages, in short, are uh, about two out of five of his posts have an anger reaction attached, uh, an anger reaction attached to them. Right. But that's actually in regards to uh, content about. Hillary Clinton and her campaign. I see, yeah. Um, so since, uh, since the last debate, uh, reactions, uh, emotional reactions seem to have gone down. Um, Clinton's actually received four times more sorry reactions on her post than uh, since last week. Uh, <laughs> but that's the exception. Well, what does sorry imply on Facebook? Um, 
unhappiness. Yeah, okay. It's it's generally like a sad, not not thrilled not reaction. Like. Okay. Uh, in her case, she's uh, posting stories about uh, negative stories about Trump and his personal beliefs right. and uh, and stated opinions. So that's sort of a vote of support by her fan base. Um, the reactions, while indicative, generally I, I do like to kind of caution a note against just because um, there's still such minority compared to the overall slate of reactions that it's tough to get an accurate sentimental reading into them yeah. as much as we might be tempted to do so. Um, I think it's, it's very interesting to see that um, uh, none of the top five kind of most angry posts Trump's published, for instance, are uh, about him. Um, <laughs> They're all kind of by his base. They show this very um, emotional support from his base towards right. his message and against Hillary Clinton. So that's indicative, but it's also um, just sort of proving something that we can maybe use more more widespread data to also prove. Okay. And it shows, doesn't it, the, um, the need for caution in interpreting sentiment around social posts. Because as you say, you get a post by Trump... And everyone is screaming, we hate it, we're so angry. And they're not angry at his post, they're angry at what he's talking about, suggesting that someone's done. Or Yeah, exactly. Like Sentiment analysis in, in social media is, uh, sometimes can overstate its own uh, you know, pre, pre-stated hypotheses or uh, the conclusions that it wants to reach. So there's always this uh, possibility of bias in sentiment analysis. Okay, now, everybody's familiar, of course, with the famous uh, Donald Trump Twitter feed. Yes. Um, <laughs> but what kind of traction does he have on Facebook? I mean, I, I'm not aware that he posts on Facebook. Does his account have a... He, he does. Uh, actually, he posts on Facebook more than Clinton does. Let me pull <laughs> this up as well. Um, we don't hear so much about angry... Trump on Facebook. <laughs> uh, no, that's actually where um, the reactions are coming from. So, uh, yeah, his his uh, his base is kind of expressing themselves more so uh, on Facebook lately, actually. And you can see he is posting uh, sixty nine page posts a day this wow. past week, eighty five the week before, uh, quite frequently. Oh, that's really yeah, actually, yeah. Um, and more so than on Twitter, which I did have pulled up. Um, you can see he's actually uh, outpacing Clinton in terms of interactions, but she uh, posts much more frequently than him there. So Facebook has actually become kind of his his most frequent posting ground because uh, generally of Facebook Live videos, right. which we discussed briefly. Yeah, we were just talking about before we started, and you were saying he's he's a little unusual in terms of a politician. Obviously, he's unusual in many ways, but in particular in this way, in his his use of video on Facebook. Could you expand on that a bit? Sure. Um, so uh, he posted uh, since June eighth, which is kind of the the period of time we've been investigating, particularly uh, when all the polls first came out as well. Um, he's posted two hundred eighty nine videos to mm-hmm. Clinton's four hundred sixty one. Uh, and of those, uh, 47 have been Facebook Live, mm-hmm. uh, which is quite a significant shift, and it's something that's picked up over time and become more frequent. And it's also 7% of his, or excuse me, 12% of his uh, promoted posts in general. So um, politicians generally do not promote too many posts. Right. They publish quite a bit of content, um, up to 
probably 20 times as much as a typical brand would, uh, the same as maybe a media organization would. Um, and they don't generally promote very much content because they publish so much that the quantity kind of makes it unnecessary. You're right. Um, Trump bucks that trend and publishes, or promotes rather, uh, generally between 3 and 6% of his content. Clinton, for comparison, publishes between 0 and promotes between 0 and 1%. Mm -hmm. For his Facebook Live videos, he's promoting twice as many as that. Right. So he's promoting 12% of his Facebook Live videos over time. Uh, it's probably about 20 since the beginning of his campaign. It's quite a few. Uh, and he's getting a 20% uh, return on that in terms of his total interactions. So it's, uh, it's quite effective compared to the normal political promotion strategy, and it's also quite profuse. It's interesting because one, one constantly hears that uh, the Trump campaign's investment in traditional advertising channels is relatively low. I, I just personally, anecdotal experience, mm -hmm. I remember during the Olympics seeing many, many Clinton ads and very few Trump ads on television. And we're hearing that, you know, not much expenditure on TV ads. But here's something quite different, which people could overlook, where he's, he's doing something unconventional, but it's having some uh, response. It's true. Um, it relies in large part on the support of his base, which is um, actually grew after kind of each of his challenges. His, his uh, follower growth and fan growth on different platforms grew exponentially. Um, his engagement per fan grew exponentially. Mm -hmm. So instead of seeing this kind of alienation that um, I think um, in established media and the political class would have sort of expected, um, you instead saw this doubling down by his base and you saw more posts being shared. Um, so a lot of his support came not from spent um, or earned media rather, mm -hmm. but uh, or from owned media, from, from earned. So he, he had posts shared. He had fans um, repost content. Uh, he had fans mention him ex extensively on Twitter. So people kind of brought him into the conversation. Mm -hmm. He kind of became an avatar for people's people's anger, as we see, mm -hmm. and for people's support rather than having to do all the work himself. It's kind of a viral presidency. <laughs> yeah, viral. Um, and I think without wanting to sound like a political pundit, it seems to me that this approach is consistent with giving the impression of a ground-up movement rather than the sort of Washington, D.C. down message. It is. It, uh, it absolutely indicates that. Um, his content, too, a lot of his best-performing content, um, using our performance prediction capabilities, we can kind of see what it is that is going to perform the best. Um, and given that, we've we found that all of his um, best-performing and uh, most likely to perform well content. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all conspiracy theories lately. Uh, it's okay. actually shifted from being kind of on his messages about immigration and about um, uh, reform in different ways, um, tax reform, immigration reform. Uh, it's gone from that to being messages about things he's talking about in the debate, but about right. um, Clinton's email controversies to possibly the election being rigged, yeah. um, and people are really picking up on this message and kind of running with it for themselves. So that's what's making it such high-performing organic content. Okay. And now, not intending to speak about Trump to the exclusion of Clinton, but is it just that there are less remarkable things happening with what Clinton's doing, doing on Facebook? In other words, she'd be doing pretty much what you'd expect a conventional campaign to be doing. Sure, yeah. It's not even so much that she's doing what a conventional campaign would be doing, although that's part of it. Uh, it's also that she's 
notably since the poll shifted in her favor, started playing quite a conservative game in terms of marketing. Right. Um, she's let her surrogates take over a lot of uh, a lot of her communication. So she's been. Um, kind of receding from the social public view herself, yep. uh, instead publishing content ab- about veterans who support her message, uh, uh, about different high-profile surrogates. She's had um, Sarah Silverman, the comedian, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. post for her on several occasions. Um, just doing a lot of outreach in terms of her famous supporters and just trying to sort of avoid making news herself, it seems. Right. Right. Uh, I wish I could remember what the joke was, but I do remember that Sarah Silverman had the most popular tweets during the last uh, presidential debate, so an effective... Sorry. It, it was, uh, we can't trust this man with the nuclear codes because we can't even trust him with a cell tanner. <laughs> that's it, you got it. Uh, um, and Well, that's a nice segue into Twitter. Um, so the, Trump's presence on Twitter has been very high-profile, mm-hmm. all the talk about tweeting at 3 o'clock in the morning and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you seen there from, from an analytics perspective? So again, that's kind of what's interesting. And in, in the meantime, I pulled up these uh, post data. So here on Facebook, you can see he's, uh, he's posting about as much, uh, a little bit more than Clinton, with some peaks between. Um, but on Twitter, she's outposted him throughout the campaign. Wow. Except for last week was the only time since early June when he tweeted more than her, and it was not a huge number. Uh, she's tweeted 2,500 times since June. He's tweeted about 1,000 less than that, 1.6 times, uh, 1.6,000 times. Uh, she tweets almost 120 times on average each week. He tweets 77. Um, so for all the press that his tweets get, because they are inflammatory or off the cuff, uh, she's actually much more prolific with that, and she usually tweets links to videos and to, again, surrogate-related content. Um, so it's, it's an interesting battlefield where she's kind of putting a heavier press on, but he's out engaging her every step of the way as well. Yeah. So his base on Twitter is very powerful. Um, again, she's only outperformed him on Twitter once since June, or twice rather. Uh, it's a clear win for Trump. Interesting. And I think there's actually, I would suggest, a message for brands using Twitter, which is my impression. So we can't know either way without actually being in the room and seeing what's mm-hmm. happening. My impression is that Trump's Twitter feed bears the imprint of his own individual voice, whether he's literally sitting there tweeting or not. Whereas Clinton's tweets, not all, but many of them, do feel like they've come from a, a campaign team. Yeah. And I think there's a general message there about engaging with people on Twitter, isn't there? Absolutely. Well, so one of uh, Trump's most engaged tweets was this. Um, June 9th, uh, early on in the campaign, uh, Clinton had her most famous tweet, which said, delete your account after oh, yes. he commented on Obama's endorsement of Clinton. Yeah. Uh, and he said... How long did it take your staff of 823 people to think that up? And where are your 33,000 emails that you deleted? Uh, So it's just this quick back and forth barb on barb. And she sort of tried to play that game of, you know, short and sassy Mm -hmm. and aggressive to him. And he was short and sassy back and uh, he won. His his base Mm -hmm. ate it up. Um, So while she had a ton of interactions from that, it kind of became uh, a technique that they didn't go back to. so the, uh, Clinton's campaign is doing this sort of who said that campaign or tried that after the first mm-hmm. debate where 
they would take lines that Trump denied saying and kind of reference back to exactly when he did say it. But again, um, you have to wonder about who that's appealing to. Um, so while her base would eat that up and be very excited about it, her base isn't really who she needs to have excited about this. It's, uh, it's Democrats who were probably in Bernie Sanders' camp uh, and you know moderate Republicans or people turned off by Trump's behavior in general who could consider voting for her. That, that plays both ways, though, doesn't it? Because when you're seeing a lot of very intense and excited engagement on Facebook or Twitter 